Hello, this is Contractor Coffee Club podcast presented by EGIA. I'm your host, Mark Madison. Visit egia.org slash podcast to find this podcast and links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listeners' Q&A, and the link to the latest EGIA snapshot survey. Well, Lucas, how are you this afternoon? Doing very well, Mark. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm on this side of the grass, and when I say that, I mean, I'm really glad to be here. I got into a car accident on Tuesday and I walked away from it. So any accident you can walk away from is a good day. No but I thought I'd talk about, about the, right? Crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and then I got on a plane the next day and did a seminar. So who knows, right? Yeah. So they proved the whole more likely to get in a car accident than a plane crash, right? Well, yeah. And I, it's been a long, long time. It's been 25 years since I've been in an accident. So, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm just again. I'm just happy to be here. Well, what I thought I'd talk about, uh, and you and I talked about this briefly earlier. I was on a plane, a really long flight. It was five or six hours, I think, from New Jersey to Seattle. And at the time, I was 51, so it was about eight years ago. And I thought, how long have I been selling? I've been selling as long as I could remember. But I remember the very first time I'd made a decision. I was 11 years old. And I had a carnival for muscular dystrophy for Jerry Lewis. And I'd see there was a guy named Brakeman Bill that had a TV show. And he had a, like a donkey puppet and they showed cartoons. And anyway, he, he did this pitch. He said, have a carnival in your neighborhood and raise money for muscular dystrophy. And it just sounded like a really neat idea to me. So I sent away for the kit and I did everything that they suggested. And I raised $11.32 in 1968. And I mailed it in to Brakeman Bill and Jerry Lewis's kids. And I was at baseball practice a week or two later. And Ron Haight, who was uh, kind of the, the joker and character on our baseball team, he came up to me and said, hey, they announced your name on TV today. I said, what? He said, Brakeman Bill, you had some kind of concert or a, a, a carnival for muscular dystrophy? And I said, yeah, I did. He said, well, you want a $50 box of fireworks. They're going to mail it to you. And I said, yeah, right. He said, no, no, really. He said, how would I know that? I'm not making it up. And sure enough, a week or two later, I got a box of fireworks in the mail. And that was the first time I realized that I could sell, right? I came up with an idea and then I went out and I took action and I raised some money and I generated some results. So I thought today, maybe it'd be a good, good thing to do to just kind of go through and, and share some ideas on generating more sales and doing a better job of marketing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. That's You've got quite a bit of experience in the industry, Mark, so I think you probably have a lot to offer. I guess that means I'm old. I'm old. I think experience old. sounds better. <laughs> yeah, like fine wine, right? Yeah. All right, so number one, see more people. If you make two calls a week to reach your goal, and, the, and that's what your boss suggests you do, go see five. It was the very first piece of advice I got from a fellow named Les Dix. He was a sales manager of the year at Xerox. And that's exactly what he told me to do. He said, double your activity rate. He said, if you double your failure rate, you'll learn twice as much in half the time. And he said, quite frankly, the first six months, nobody expects you to do anything. So you'll surprise a lot of people. So that's what I did. I did five proposals a week instead of just two. And my first year, I was 150% of plan. So see more people's idea number one. 
Number two, this one's really simple. Hand out five business cards a day. And in, in this age of technology where everybody's uh, said, here's my contact information and a millennial hands you his phone and you type in your information, I'm still a huge proponent of business cards. I remember reading a, a book about uh, sales and the number one sales car salesman in the world, Joe Girard. He was from Detroit and he said every time he'd go to a Detroit Lions football game, and they'd score a touchdown, he'd throw 100 of his business cards up in the air to celebrate. And he sold Chevrolet, so these cards would come floating down like manna from heaven. The only problem was Detroit didn't score a lot of touchdowns in those days, but he still did it at every game. Okay? So, so I got in the habit of handing out five business cards a day, and now I hand out books and window cards and all kinds of information. Uh, I was in I was in Australia speaking and a fellow named David Jackson came up to me and he says, Mark, you're quite a speaker, but he said, you need to hand out more things for free. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, you don't hand enough things out for free, Mark. If you do, you'll, you'll increase your business. And at the time I was this, I think this was like 2012. I remember thinking, okay, I appreciate that. But, uh, and then he, proceeded to tell me that he mails books to people and he, he, he gives a lot of things away and he said he's never been more busy. So I started doubling the amount of things I gave away and sure enough, and I recently created a brand new ebook and I'm giving that away. So I'm finally, after all these years, following his advice. So hand out five cards a day. Number three, smile more. It takes 13 facial muscles to smile and 47 to frown. Lucas, evidently some people don't mind the extra work. <laughs> It's worth it. It's uh, it's it's worth not doing the extra work, I think, Mark. Well, you know, it's uh, unless you have really bad teeth, you know, like Mike Myers in, you know, the spy movie. Austin Powers, yeah. But then I think you just yeah. work out a new smile that you know you keep your mouth closed for the smile, right? I love that scene in the movie. He says, I get it. I have bad teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so smile more. Prospects by you. Number four, a hearty handshake. Is yours a limp fish, or, or or do you squeeze the three fingers of the guy in front of you, right? How many times have you had somebody do a creepy handshake where they just kind of do the limp fish? Nobody likes a limp fish. Nobody. No. So the secret is the handshake goes all the way to the end, thumb to thumb, right? Hardy, not too hard. And then there's a story about, about Bill Clinton. He said that you could tell the level of uh, intimacy in the relationship you had with the way you shook your hand. If it was a regular handshake, he didn't really know you. He touched your elbow. That was a, a gesture that of familiarity. And if you touched your shoulder while you shook your hand, then you were his friend. So handshakes matter. And the way you shake someone's hand matters. It's all about building rapport. I do remember a story a contractor told me about, uh, about Bill Clinton's ability to remember people's names. He said, I was in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and at the Holiday Inn, and I was doing a seminar. And this contractor said, you know, I met Bill Clinton when he was running for governor in this very hotel in this lobby. And I said, really, what was he like? And he said, oh, he was a great guy, just uh, friendly, uh, affable. Everybody liked him. And uh, he asked my name, and I told him. And then he said, I saw him 10 years later when he was running for re-election for president in this same hotel. And he called my name from across the room and came over and shook my hand. And I said, is that a true story? And he said, absolutely true. 10 years later, met him once. 
Yeah, what an impression that leaves too, right? And that that guy, I mean, he told you the story, you know, he remembered it for the rest of his life. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And there's there's few things that have positive associations for us, like our name, right? It's the, it's the word you've been hearing your entire life more than almost any other word is your name, the longest memories you have. So just using the name can can elicit such emotions and such a, an emotional reaction. The sweetest sound in any language is the sound of someone's, someone's name, Dale Carnegie said. In fact, he told a story about a guy who donated $22 million to Little Trinity College in North Carolina if they would change their name to James P. Duke University. He's the cigarette king. Yeah, he didn't want anybody to forget his name, and they, thanks to Mike Krzyzewski, they haven't. <laughs> there you go. Number five, ask. This is a biblical reference. Ask, seek, knock. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and you shall, it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find and knock and you, the door will be open. Most people don't ask. We can do everything correctly, but if we don't ask for the sale, I remember reading research once that uh, if you ask for a sale five times, you have a 68% chance of closing the business. Yeah, there's a whole a whole segment that you, of course, know well and long that he has a whole segment on, on asking for the sale because not only is it important to do and it seems obvious it seems like that's the, that's what you would do when you're there but but there's such a significant portion of especially in the in the home services industry people make the presentation explain the situation but never actually finish by saying can i have this sale or will you trust me with this business or you know asking for the sale in some way or another it's just something that you kind of think i i think i said that i, I assume i said that um, but they never actually explicitly ask for the sale Right. And one of the things I teach contractors is my favorite, my favorite close is you smile. You've done everything correctly. It's time to ask for the sale. You slide the agreement across the table. You put the pen down in front of them and you lean back and you smile without saying a word. I call it the silent pen close. And it works. And this, it works like magic. The, the silence is deafening. You know, the first one to talk loses. Yeah. So all you have to do is not talk. Let the <laughs> pen do all the talking. Can you do that though, Mark? I have done that so many times. I've closed more business by doing it. Oh, not talking. Can I, I was wondering if can you, I not you talk? The silence, yeah. When there's a deal on the line, you bet. <laughs> there you go. When I was a kid, my older brother, Bruce, would say, look, if you don't talk for 20 minutes, I'll give you a quarter. I never got the money. <laughs> but, I mean, 20 minutes for 25 cents, it's not really worth the trade-off, is it? Well, it was 1965. I mean, you know, I was like seven, eight years old. He just wanted me to be quiet for a little while, but it never worked. Yeah, but when the price of, uh, you know, new AC units on the line, I think that changes things. Well, the movie The Magic Christian with Ringo Starr and Peter Sellers is all about everybody has a price, yeah. right? If he'd, raised it, if he'd raised the ante a little, I might have shut my pie hole, but it just wasn't enough, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Number six, referrals, referrals, refer referrals. If, you, if you've done a good job, if you've delivered value-added service, you have a right to ask for more business. And asking customers for the opportunity to, wor to work with them again or if there's any additional work you can do. I mean, a lot of times contractors forget that some of their customers have rental houses. Some of them own multiple properties. But all of them know somebody that they could ask for two names. And one of the things I found is that in, in, in conducting sales training, if I ask you what your favorite song is, right? you'll look at me in kind of a blank stare and say, I, I don't know, you know, I don't really know. But if I say to you, between country, western, rock and roll, hip hop, or jazz, which one of those do you have an affinity for? What would you say? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I would be. I could narrow it down to probably rock and roll. Sure. Yeah. And since you're in Portland, it'd probably be indie rock, right? <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bands so then I might say, okay, of all the exactly. So <laughs> so if, then if I said, which indie band comes to mind as being your favorite? Maybe you've seen them multiple times. Who would that be? Geez, now you really have me on the spot here, Mark. I, I like know, you it. might say. <laughs> You might say Weezer, right? Or sure, yeah. Imagine Dragons, or I don't know who who would it be. Uh, not not Imagine Dragons. I like the Arctic Monkeys. You the big fan Arctic of Monkeys. Yeah, sure. I've heard of them. Have you? I don't have any of their albums, but I'm going to go online and and download one of their songs before the day's yeah, over. I make the most recent album is stellar. Okay, so there's one or two songs on that album that you really like a lot. Sure, yeah. Now we're getting to narrow down. It's the exact huh? same. Exact same process. So if I say to you, can can you think of who are the two neighbors that you're the closest to, or do you belong to any associations or groups, right? Who are your two closest friends? When I start narrowing the search for referrals, that's when I can get two solid referrals. Yeah. And in my experience, about sixty percent of the time, or seventy, right in there, I'll get two names. And if I keep doing that consistently over an extended period of time, my funnel stays full. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you lay it out pretty, pretty simply and, and yeah, pretty easy to follow that way. Number seven, attend annual gatherings in the industry. And you know, what better, what better place to go than EGIA? Now, Lucas, isn't it true that sometime this next year in, in Las Vegas, EGIA is hosting something called Epic 2018. Is that right? It is indeed. We are still in the uh, in the planning stages, but we have signed our location. The Epic 2018. That's Educating Professionals in Contracting. EPIC uh, 2018. It'll be the weekend of. It's going to be September 27th and 28th. Uh, in Las Vegas at the Cosmopolitan. It's going to be a spectacular event. Mark, you've you've been at at many of our uh, conferences before, surely you'll be at this one as well. There's going to be a, there's going to be keynote speakers. There's going to be breakout sessions. There'll be a, a product exhibition, um, and it's going to be really focused on educating more than more so than you know your average um, expo or something like that. This is going to be really focused on educating, providing contractors with the exact tools that they need. They can go into a you know they'll have probably four or five different opportunities to go into a breakout session, learn a few different things in these breakout sessions. Um, and it's going to be information they can take back, implement in their business immediately starting Monday. Uh, and we've gotten great feedback on all of our conferences so far. This is going to be the biggest one yet. This is going to be the best one yet. Um, very exciting. Okay, well, that's number seven is attend industry gatherings. I remember a number of years ago, I went to Comfort Tech and it was in St. Louis, but I wasn't one of the presenters. I had been, I was just so busy that particular year, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. And I presented at Comfort Tech, I don't know, 10 times probably. But this one particular year, all I could do was carve out a single day. So I sat in the Starbucks across the street from the exhibition center from 6 in the morning until 10.30 working on my laptop. And I bumped into 10 people, eight of whom gave me their business card, six of whom hired me to speak the next year. I was only there one day, and my funnel was full. So sometimes all you got to do is show up. Yeah, right. okay. and the and the I feel like the you know I've seen you talk, for example, uh, you've you've done keynotes for us at conferences before uh, for EGIA. I've seen you talk on the stage, and I've seen you in you know in videos or heard you in webinars, and there you know it's all good information is good information anywhere, but there's something about 
a live event that is just completely different, right? There's something about hearing from a speaker, you know, a breakout a presentation or something in person is just, is there's so much energy and it's so much, so much more urgent, I think, when you, when you see it in person. Absolutely. And there's no, there's no denying that the conversations you have in between the sessions and the quality of the people that you're going to interact with. One of the things I say when I present, I said, look, some of you are doing, say, a million or $2 million a year, and you want to get to four or $5 million. I promise you right now, there's somebody in this room who's doing $5 million. And the fact that you're here, you get to go find that person and talk to them. Yeah, and I, I think there's people who have done what you want to do and been where you want to go, and they're in this room. So why wouldn't you go find them? And, and when there's when there's an event like like this one, like I said, it's going to be in Las Vegas. It's a very central location. We'll be drawing contractors from across the country. I think there's naturally some hesitation, Mark, when you when you tell people to you know share your secrets or share some, share your strategies if you're talking about a local you know a couple of different contractors who live in Portland and they think well, I don't want to give this guy you know my information is going to cannibalize my business. But when you're talking about a right. national show and you have people coming in from you know New Jersey, Miami, Seattle. Um, Los Angeles, then you can talk to people who really aren't in your competitive region at all. Um, and there's really no harm exactly. in, in sharing, you know, all, all kind of all the, the strategies that have helped everybody so far. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up because that that fear that I call that a lack mentality. I've worked with six different contractors of the year and every single one of them has said the same thing. I have a friendly competitor in my marketplace that I share and exchange ideas with. So that that misnomer that somehow by sharing your information it's going to hurt your business the, the actually the opposite is true so it's an abundance mentality and but you're right the the greatest value is the quality of the exchanges that happen in between everything at breakfast at dinner and in between the events so i'm obviously i'm a huge proponent of that not just because i'm one of the speakers but but long before i ever became a speaker i attended every event i could yeah uh, no, number eight uh, read great books the books you don't read won't help, and people that don't read are no better off than those that don't know how. I literally have hundreds and hundreds of sales books. Uh, in this last month's e-zine that I sent out, uh, I profiled a, a book called America's 12 Master Salesmen. It was published in 1952, and I ordered this on Amazon. I devoured it in a day. I couldn't put it down. It had it, it had some of the finest minds. I mean, these are all dead guys, right? I mean, this book was written in 1952, but but that's some best information. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because sales, is, the principles are timeless. One of my favorite books is a book called How I Raised Myself from a Failure to Success in Selling by Frank Betcher. And Betcher was it's spelled B-E-T-T-G-E-R. He was a friend of Dale Carnegie's. And in 1927, he wrote this book. Now, I've read that book probably six or seven times. There's 31 principles in that book. And they're timeless. They don't change. Right. People change. Technology changes. But sales principles don't. It's a little bit like gravity. You know, say, so I don't believe in gravity. We'll step off a 25 story building and see how that works for you. A <laughs> hundred years from now, gravity is still going to work. Right. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. So read it 15 to 20 minutes in sales every morning. If you're real serious, you read 30 minutes to, to an hour. But the, the greatest reason for reading sales books, in my opinion, is this. It's fresh water in your pond. It's fresh ideas. Right. If you've ever seen a pond that's full of algae and the fish are floating upside down, it's because there was never fresh water coming in and going out. So all you need is one great idea from a sales book to completely change your close ratio and the quality and quantity of the business that you're closing. Number nine, go back to existing customers with new offerings. Innovate. 
develop something new that the customers really need. One of my favorite books, and anyone can download it. You can get it off the internet for free. It's on my website for free. Russell Conwell wrote a book called Acres of Diamonds. Again, this is a book written in the 20s. He basically says, you have acres of diamonds in your backyard. And it's, it's based on a story that Conwell told. He told this story 6,000 times, and he single-handedly raised all the money for Temple University. At the time, Temple didn't exist in, in Philadelphia, and, but college kids were coming to him. He was a pastor at the time. And they said, there needs to be a college where people deserving, smart young people can go that's affordable. And he said, you know, that's something that doesn't exist. Find a need and fill it. So after a while, the idea consumed him. So he went on a national speaking tour for like five years and gave 6,000 speeches. And he told a story called Acres of Diamonds. And, and it's, a, it's a true story. And it was about an African farmer who had an abundant life. And one day a traveler came through and stayed at his home. And he said, you know, he said, you, you, you're obviously doing well. But he said, you'll, you'll never really be rich until you own diamonds. And the farmer said, really? He said, oh, yeah. And so he described what the diamonds look like. And after a while, the farmer became consumed by the idea. And so he sold his farm. And he went off looking for diamonds. And for the next 10 years, you, you know, he, he never found them. And he eventually threw himself into the Tigris River and drowned, committed suicide. Well, meanwhile, back on the farm, the guy who bought his farm was watering his horse one day in the creek that ran through the middle of the farm. And the light struck this rock in a certain way and it blinded him. So he picked up the rock. It was about the size of a softball. It was really heavy. And he thought it was just kind of a curious thing. So he put it on his mantle and that same traveler came back through and saw what was a rough cut diamond and said, where did you get this? He said, well, it was in the creek. He said, are there more? He said, oh yeah, the whole creek bed's littered with them. Well, it ended up being the Mackenzie diamond mine the largest diamond mine in the history of diamonds. Now, the original farmer owned it outright, but he left to go look for him elsewhere. And the point of Conwell's story is, and this is especially poignant and true for contractors, is contractors have an acre of diamonds in their backyard. They, need, they don't need to go rushing off looking for it elsewhere. Their acres of diamonds is right where they are right now. So go back to existing customers with new offerings. Number 10 is be nice. Nice guys and gals finish first. I read a little book by Linda Kaplan and Robin Koval called The Power of Nice, How to Conquer the Business World with Kindness. And it basically says, be nice, right? People buy you. Trust, relationship, competency, and timing. Would you buy some from somebody who is uh, incompetent? I would not. Okay. Uh, would you buy them from, would you buy from somebody who's mean? No, I would prefer not to, Mark. Would you buy from somebody you didn't trust? Absolutely not. Would you buy if the timing wasn't right? Uh, no. Yeah. So the four legs of the sales chain, trust, relationship, competency, and timing. Simple. Just not easy. Here's one the contractors don't think about. Start writing, become an expert in the industry. You know, it's interesting, magazines like the news and contracting business are always looking for contractors point of view. And, uh, you know, I've written hundreds of articles for, for not just magazines in, in contracting, but outside the industry as well. 
editors are always looking for great content. But the really neat thing about writing is, in my opinion, it's about paraphrasing what you know, right? So if you're succeeding in your industry, write about it. Write about sales, write about customer service, write about attracting and retaining employees. I remember having a conversation with a, he was the former president of ACA for Kentucky. And he, was, he had 120 employees. He was a plumber and an HVAC guy. And I said, you have 120 employees? He said, yeah. I said, uh, well, how do you find your employees? And he said, well, Mark, he said, I kind of have an unconventional strategy. He said, I look for farmers and Boy Scouts. And I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, so what you're saying is you're hiring for character and training for skill. He said, exactly. He said, here's what you'll never see. Boy Scout robs bank. Right? I've never seen it yet. Yeah. And here's what you'll never hear. Farmer sleeps in. None of the work gets done. Right? He said, if a guy's a farmer, I take a hard look at a resume. If he's a Boy Scout and a farmer, I don't even look at his resume. I just hire him. And he said, a lot of contractors are wasting a lot of time looking for they're employed, their future employees in all the wrong places. He said, we go to 4-H, we go to Boy Scout conventions. He said, I go where the fish are. Well, yeah, there's something appealing, right? I guess, to, to thinking that you're going to be able to get somebody with some experience and save on training, right? But in actuality, if you can, you know, the training is much easier to, the job is easier to train for than the personality or the mindset or the attitude, right? That's, that's going to be a lot harder to train in somebody. Right. The next one is give to get. What can you give your clients and prospects? Articles on subjects they're interested in. Uh, I've been handing out this free ebook and it's been amazing the, the response I've been getting from it. So my friend in Australia was right. Uh, I, have, I had a mentor give away a little five page special report. And he, he literally, he, bought, he had these little booklets made. And it was called The Common Denominator of Success by Albert Gray. And it was a five page uh, document special report and he had it printed and made into tiny little booklets and he would staple his card his business card to this booklet and in the 60s and 70s he gave hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of this thing away and in in my in my ebook i mentioned that particular uh, article by albert gray and there's a there's a link to it but the point is he was giving something away that he knew would be helpful for that person and he wasn't at, he wasn't expecting anything in return so it's giving and forgetting it's giving away to be of service to your fellow man. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And very important. So now, well, now David Jackson's uh, uh, challenge to me, you know, finally makes sense. The next one I'd like to talk about is borrowing boldly from the best. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Find out who's doing what you want to do, and have been where you want to go, and talk to them. And what I suggest is you make you make a list of five people who are successful that you want to emulate and you call them up, you take them to lunch. When I first started in the training and education business, I discovered Charlie Tremendous Jones. So I called him up. I didn't know who he was. I mean, I knew who he was, but he didn't know who I was. And I said, do you ever come to Seattle? And he said, I'll be there in September. And I said, can I drive you from the airport to your hotel? Can I drive you from the hotel to your speaking engagement? And Charlie had an interesting way of speaking. He said, oh, tremendous Mark. He goes, you got a servant's heart. I'd be happy to help. 
And he, when he would hug you, he'd say, when you hug somebody, who lets go first? So he was just, he was larger than life. I never knew anybody like Charlie. And he basically said, look, there's somebody who's done what you want to do and been where you want to go. Your challenge is to find out who they are. He said, now, you said you wanted to publish a book. I said, absolutely. He said, well, I'm a publisher. You know that, right? And I said, no. I, he said, well, what do you think Executive Books is, an underwear store? He said, when you when you finally got something written down, he said, send it to me. So I did. Two weeks later, he called and said, I want to publish Freedom from Fear. So it wasn't like I sent out, you know, 100 manuscripts to publishers and got all kinds of no's like Stephen King. I only sent it to one guy because I reached out to somebody who had done what I wanted to do and been where I wanted to go. He sold two million copies of Life is Tremendous. And he said to me one day, he said, do you realize... I gave away 200,000 copies. And I said, wow, right? So going back to give to get. So when you do get in front of this person that's done what you want to do and been where you want to go, here's some questions to ask. Why do you think you're so successful? What advice would you offer somebody who's just starting out? What book should I read? What seminar should I attend? What would you do differently if you were starting all this now? And then write it all down and do the things they suggest. And then watch what happens to your business. Well, I got through about half of what I was hoping to today. Maybe we'll resume the other half in the next one. Is there a, is there a mailbag, Lucas? Did we get any uh, it's queries? It's funny, funny you should ask that, Mark. There is a mailbag. Uh, yeah, we have we have two recent questions came in. Um, first of all, we have, we have Bob in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, and he simply wanted to know a good strategies for engaging coworkers. Excellent. Well, you know, I happen to know Bob. I'm I'm real fond of him. He's a he's a hunter and he's a big fan of Jackson Brown. So Bob, this goes out to you. Uh, I I think the um, this is such a simple idea that it's almost absurd. But what I suggest contractors do to get people to get their employees involved in what I call the ideation process is to get all your technicians in a room, give them breakfast or lunch, and then write a question on a whiteboard or a flip chart. Like, how do we generate leads from the field? Like, I'm just giving you as an example. And then they write down on a three by five card their ideas. And then the ideas get passed forward and the best ideas get written down. And then you prioritize the ideas and then you go to work on number one, number two, number three, and so on. One of my favorite stories is about Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. When he first started the company here in Seattle, he'd moved from Princeton. And uh, one, of his, one of his friends from college was, had gotten a job at Microsoft. And so they decided to get together for lunch. So the exec came over from Bellevue to Seattle to have lunch with his old pal. And when he walked in this funky little office that, that uh, Bezos had, there was a giant whiteboard with 200 ideas on it. And he said, I'm going to go get us lunch. This is Bezos talking. He said, I'm going to go get us lunch. Why don't you prioritize that list of ideas? I don't know which one of those things I should do first. And he handed him the marker and he went to get some food. And he came back about a half an hour later and he prioritized that, that entire list. And then over lunch, he turned to Bezos and said, this is really exciting. I want to be in on this. And Bezos said, what do you mean? He said, I want to come to work for you. So he became employee number five. All Bezos did was list a bunch of great ideas, and then he had them prioritize them. When you get 
employees involved in the ideation process or in the prioritization process, they take ownership of it. So a simple idea to get employees engaged, but it works. And I think it's because it's the difference between being involved and being committed, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that you're describing exactly the the kind of the difference between somebody feeling like an employee and somebody feeling like a stakeholder, right? And obviously, right. who's going to work harder? Who's going to who's going to commit more to the company and do things autonomously, even rather than simply doing the minimum they're told to do? Well, Socrates determined that the Socratic method was simply asking questions and listening. And if you want to influence someone, ask them questions. I've been married for 15 years to my wife Debbie before I figured out that these questions that she was asking me weren't questions at all. They were commands with question marks at the end. So once I figured it out, she now she says things like, so do you feel like going out tonight? I say, it sounds like you do. <laughs> all right, busted. And how often are you right? Probably pretty frequently. Well, yeah, because it's not, it's just, yeah. you know, she'd been guiding and nudging my behavior through, with questions for, you know, the first 15 years. And now I'm much wiser. Yeah. Yeah, after 38 years, I finally figured it out. Do you have any other, is there any other questions in the mailbag? Yeah, we got one more. Um, Robin from Katy, Texas asks, with the onset of transparency affecting the HVAC market, uh, online equipment purchases, Google searches, et cetera, why do you think some manufacturers are allowing equipment equipment to be sold while others uh, are still holding on? And when do you expect the floodgates to open as far as online equipment sales? Uh, and this is somebody who, who they, they then parenthetically add, they're not pro online sales. They're hoping to continue to design and install uh, an applied engineered product. So yeah, I mean, I guess how the, the, the way the internet has affected almost every other industry where like uh, manufacturer direct is becoming more and more common. Um, how's that going to affect this industry? Okay. So I reached out, I, I forwarded this question to a few people that I respect in manufacturing and, and this is, a, this is the answer I got back. Uh, manufacturers are doing their best to manage their channels and figure out the internet. They're all trying to get their message to dealers and the homeowners with respect to their value proposition. With the internet, it's one of those darn if you do, darn if you don't, nearly impossible to control unless you get involved. So there's a generation out there that only wants to shop on the internet and do their research and make their purchase decisions. So for that reason, the internet is going to be an influence. But the feeling was, didn't think the floodgates would open. Uh, would open manufacturers and dealers to continue to develop their value proposition. Central AC is not a do-it-yourself product. More services coming online, IAQ, home automation, more customization and controls, more bundling of products and services. The dealer brand will remain essential. So that's the general feeling. You know, it's it's here's the thing. It's, I mean, having been a technician for 10 years, this isn't something that you can do, have your husband do, who happens to be handy, okay? So what we do is very specialized, what we do is very unique, and it's changing every year. The technology keeps shifting and changing. So there's always a, there'll always be a place for a contractor who offers tremendous value, uh, is extremely competent in both the installation and the service, because uh, this isn't really a do-it-yourself kind of thing. It's a specialized niche. And that's true on the residential side, and it's equally true on the commercial side. So yeah, I hope that answers the question. I think, yeah, I think that does. And it, it, it does seem to me, you obviously know the the, uh, the technical side of the industry a little more than I do, but um, it does seem to me like manufacturers wouldn't necessarily want to sell direct also for that reason, because it isn't it isn't an easy DIY project. And so 
you know, if, if a manufacturer sells their product to somebody directly and that person installs it incorrectly, there's some part of them is going to want to blame the manufacturer, right? Even though the problem wasn't that, the problem was the install was bad. And so if you have, you know, trained certified installers doing it, then the, uh, the manufacturer can rest a little more easily knowing that, you know, their reputation is intact because they can, they can vouch for that installation, right? I, you're absolutely right. I, when I was in my second year selling commercial service agreements in Seattle, I, I followed a truck around. There was a company and I won't, I won't tell you their name. That wouldn't be fair, but their, their installs were so bad that whenever we went into one of their buildings, there was always a hundred things wrong. And it was the easiest sale. It was like shooting ducks in a, in a pond. Right. And so I, one day I followed their van around to three different buildings and I ended up walking into all three of those buildings, finding out who the building owner was. And I closed you know, I closed the business. So, the, and the point is they're not in business anymore, right? That company's long gone. If if you're, if you don't do what you do well, it doesn't take very long for the word to get out. So, and, and to, from my, from my point of view, what EGIA is offering is everything contractors need to succeed and to take their business to the next level. So I feel honored and, and uh, quite frankly, humbled to be a part of it. So, Mark, on that note, actually, can I can I interject there since you are you're talking about that? Um, you, in fact, one of the things that we offer at EGIA is is webinars, educational webinars, so people can you know jump online or, or when it's happening, or you know a, a couple weeks later, this, all the stuff's saved in the archives. So if you're not present at the moment when it's happening, um, but this month, November 28th at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time, we have a webinar led by Mark. Do you know who it is? Yeah, I, I know the guy. He's in Edmonds, isn't he? He's, Edmonds, he's a Washington. handsome fellow named Mark Madison. Uh, the title of the webinar is How to Enjoy a 75% Close Ratio. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll, we'll get into it at the webinar. But do you, do you want to give a quick, just a quick rundown of kind of what you're going to talk about and how, you know, why people might want to tune into that? Well, it's real simple. What's your close ratio now? <laughs> if, it, if it's 25%, wouldn't it be nice if it was 75? What would it mean to you to have a 75% close ratio? My first year selling, I had a 25% close ratio. I was working so hard. My second year was 50. My third year was 75. My last full year was was 90%. And now it hovers, for me, with what I do now, it hovers around 80%. So the point is, you you can earn more and work less. And to me, that's what it's about. And so hopefully, if that, that's some there's some interest there, by all means, tune in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and you can just anybody who wants to kind of see a little more on it, go to egia.org/events, and that'll that'll show you all of the upcoming Ask the Experts conference calls as well um, as well as Mark's uh, webinar coming up. You just click on that, and you can read kind of the a longer description about it and register there. Um, that's open to EGIA members. Well, I appreciate the time. I think we've run out of time. I'm reminded of a story about a pastor who's driving through the country, and he came across this farm that was amazing, and he pulls the pulls over and you know the silo's full of grain and there's flowers and there's animals and it's just clear the, the farmer's doing well. And so he waves the farmer down who's on his tractor. So the farmer turns off his tractor and hops down and wipes his brow as he removes his John Deere cap and said, Can I help you? And the pastor said, You know, God certainly has blessed you with a beautiful farm. And the farmer smiled. He was a smart guy. He said, He has, and I'm grateful, but you should have seen this place when he had it all to himself. You know, the point is. All of us are given a plot of land to work with, right? An acre of diamonds, if you will. And so what are we doing with it? Are we reading books? Are we setting goals? Are we talking to other contractors? Are we getting better every day? We're we getting worse. Ray Kroc used to say, the founder of McDonald's said, you're either green and growing or ripe and rotting. Which one are you?
That'll do it for today's episode. As always, you can find this podcast, an archive of previous episodes, and the online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment, links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google Play app, and a link to the latest EGI snapshot survey at www.egia.org slash podcast. For more information about EGIA membership, visit egia.org slash join. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. Make it a great day unless you have other plans. <laughs>